Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Out of the Blue. It is Sunday the 28th of January. My name's Heather. And I'm Erin. Welcome to the show. You're listening to 855am. You could be also listening online or podcasting. That exciting new technology we started last year and are usually on top of it. Sometimes. Most of the time. Sometimes. Sometimes. We're going to be better this year. When we year. get around to it. It's our New Year's resolution. Well, today we are going to be talking about sharks um, because Trump has come out and said that he wishes all sharks would die. Which, of course, has had the complete opposite effect. But first up, let's go a community service announcement. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, and really healthy and nutritious. La, 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 la. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op. 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. All right, it is a beautiful, though somewhat stinking hot Sunday out there. Very hot. I really hope that nobody is listening to us right now and they're all out in the ocean just cooling down. That's good because we can say whatever we want now. <laughs> That'd be great. Hold on. Isn't that what we've been doing the last couple of years? True, true. Okay. Oh, okay we'll continue cool. along. Well, today we've been joined by Jason Caruso, shark extraordinaire. Thank you very much for having me. Heather. I know you don't necessarily like that title, but I've learned a lot from you over the years, Jace. Absolutely. Now, I mentioned that Trump hates sharks. Now, Trump hates a lot of things. <laughs> I have just come back from the States and it is astounding what Trump hates. There does seem to be a long list it's extensive. Um, he It seems to be a new thing every week. And if you're unsure of what he hates, just follow his Twitter. Like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear. But he's come out and said that he wishes that all sharks would die. And that's had the complete opposite effect. It is a pretty severe statement. Not yeah. just he doesn't like them no. or he's a little bit afraid of them. He actually wants them all to die. Yeah. 
So this is from Market Watch, and we've posted it on our Facebook page already. Look at us. We've already got stuff on there for the show. It's crazy. Um, so shark-related non-profits have been receiving a, receiving a steady stream of donations in the wake of Trump reportedly telling adult film actress Stormy Daniels, I donate to all these charities and I would never donate to any charity that helps sharks. I hope all the sharks die. Trump's comments come in light of an In Touch Weekly uh, In Touch Weekly interview with Daniels, who reportedly had a fling with Trump in 2006. Um, he is obsessed with sharks and terrified of them, apparently. So since Trump's strong anti-shark stance has become public, donations have poured in for non-for-profits such as the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy and also Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. And people are actually putting some of their donations in Trump's name. So there has been <laughs> a distinct spike in donations. So now, that's crazy. Is this the best thing that's ever happened for sharks in recent times. I mean, I know it sounds weird, but sharks come out and said he hopes they all die, uh, pretty severe. But then we've seen a huge resurgence in interest and donations to these uh, campaigns that are helping sharks. Isn't that a good thing? Well, I think it's good because more people are going to go out and learn more about sharks. Yeah. I mean, 75 million are killed every year. And because of Trump, now money's going towards them. So keep going, Trump. Um, yeah. Maybe say you hate all the forests. I'm not sure. Just... <laughs> Yeah. Just keep going hate, with that. Hate national parks, hate climate change. That's like, right. Well, just hate everything. He's kind of said that already. <laughs> well, yeah, but more people are becoming educated about yep, it now. Yep. It at least puts it in the forefront. Because, look, I suppose most people, when they think of sharks, uh, possibly not our listeners because we're all educated, awesome people, of but course. a lot of people think of sharks and the first thing they think is, that's a scary animal, it wants to eat me. And that's literally it. That's the extent. Uh, most people have never even met a shark, seen a shark, or had any interaction with a shark in the wild, but they think this is a scary animal with lots of teeth, massive dorsal fin, and it wants to eat me. Now, that's not exactly true. That's not my experiences. Now, no. Jason, you've had quite a bit of experiences with sharks uh, working in the aquarium industry. Uh, would you say that's a pretty stereotypical uh, shark trait, that they all just want to eat you? Well, I think it's certainly, as you said, something that most people think of yes. is very true. But working with them and diving with them and feeding them, uh, it certainly is not true at all. Not um, true. Not true at all, no, no. Most of the big sharks that we uh, that I've been uh, fortunate enough to hand feed um, mm -hmm. are, are like big friendly puppy dogs. Hand them some fish and then they move on. They're not out there to bite people. Right, okay, so you're actually physically handing them a fish. Uh, they haven't taken away your arm, which is what I suppose most people would you think. You can check, I've got them both here. It's a hard visual okay. for radio, but yes. yes. On radio, just trust us, he does have... <laughs> I'll all, take yep, a photo. All ten fingers... There they are. Okay, so if you're hand-feeding a shark, uh, it hasn't come up to you uh, trying to grab you. and But you've had a lot of experiences with these animals. You're having interactions quite frequently. Most people haven't. I think that's the difference is that you have had these experiences. So what are some of the species that you've worked with? Because most people, when they think of sharks, they think of jaws. They think of a great white. They Everyone think of goes great whites every yep. single time. They think of a large shark. And in fact, that's pretty much all they know. They know about tigers. They know about bulls. They know about great whites. They know about hammerheads because they look different. Well, that's cool. Right? That's right. And yeah. they are pretty cool looking. But yeah. that's the extent. So what, what species have you worked with, Jason? Uh, maybe we'll start with the big ones first. Yeah. Um, some of the larger ones were broad-nosed seven-gill sharks, and they're mm. a shark that are around two to three metres, and okay. they're actually fairly common in, off the coast of Victoria. Not a shark you'd likely encounter if you're out swimming or snorkelling at the beaches. If you're lucky, you may see one, but they're a local shark. So... Been fortunate enough to hand feed them. I've um, also been lucky enough to work with uh, grey nurse sharks, which are one of our most endangered species of sharks in Australia. 
Um, and they're also around the two and a half to three meter mark as well. So these were the large sharks that I was um, often hand feeding. Um, and also um, varieties of whaler sharks. Many of you might be familiar with bronze whalers, um, similar to that, um, in that in that kind of reef shark family. So, And these are all sharks that are probably, I would say, longer than you are tall yes. uh, and probably weigh a lot more than you. Yep, yep. Uh, a grey nurse shark, maybe 120, 150 kilos. Okay, so these are large know. sharks. Okay, yep. that's the first thing people think of. They think of a large shark, it wants to come and eat me, uh, and here you are again. Uh, folks, all 10 fingers. Yep. So, But are they all large sharks? Um, no. So apart from those kind of main large sharks that we're hand feeding, I've um, also been able to work with a lot of smaller sharks, sharks that are kind of in smaller than us or, or yep. up to the size of us. So anywhere from one to one and a half metres. Um, species... Wow, that's literally just my height there. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> still, still taller than you, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. The midget will just be quiet now. <laughs> So these pieces are, again, another local shark, uh, the Port Jackson sharks. Beautiful. Uh, and they're a very small, cute little shark. They're a shark that you may see or encounter if you're out snorkelling, possibly today, out in Port Phillip Bay. Maybe yeah, we've areas mentioned, like Ricketts Point Yeah, before. we've mentioned Ricketts a few times. Yes. It's good spot. fantastic spot for yep. them. Yeah, a little nursery ground there for them as well where they uh, lay their very distinctive corkscrew-shaped eggs. Uh, but hand-feeding them, uh, they're also like puppy dogs. You can actually come. You can actually encourage them to kind of rest on your arm and sit on your hands while you're kind of offering them food. Um, another similar shark that behaves in a very similar way was a zebra or a leopard shark as well. So they're another shark that we've also been able to feed in a very similar way. So these are some of the smaller sharks that we've been able to, to work with and hand feed and in a way, um, you know, handle in some respects as well. And it's interesting you mentioned leopard sharks because I know the ones you're talking about. And um, I was just in America and at San Diego Zoo, they have this fascinating tank with penguins swimming with sharks. Oh, yeah. Awesome. It was great. I'd never seen that before. And I was reading the signs, as you do, because I'm a bit of a geek. And um, they're like, leopard sharks. I'm standing at the tank going, that's not a leopard shark. And it, it just brought home that fact that, again, those common names, and we've talked about this on the show before, using yep. a common name is great if you want people to really connect with the animal. But I was looking at this animal going, you're not a leopard shark. Well, ah. it is the leopard shark. What you know of the leopard shark isn't. Yeah, oh, exactly. Well, there <laughs> See, yes. there you go. My knowledge was just completely <laughs> we've, wrong. We've talked about the issues with this taxonomic clarification and just just in terms of common names and, and greater than that and the issues it produces uh, well, going on. grey nurse shark. Like, that doesn't sound too bad. Nurse, you know, they yeah. help you. Yeah. And then you've got ragged tooth tiger shark. Now, that Same sounds species. a lot scarier. Yeah, of course. And we don't want that. But I, I have fond memories of Jace feeding sharks and, yeah, cradling the little Port Jacksons up so everybody could see them being fed. It was it was great. There was YouTube videos of it for ages. Oh, great, great. Check that out. They're very yeah. endearing sharks. They very are. Endearing. They and, are. and not the stereotype that most people think of, as, as Aaron was talking about before. That, that's right. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, descriptive words you were, got, you were using, endearing, cute, and little. Yes. They are not things that people typify when they think of a shark they think of large lots of teeth big dorsal fin bloodthirsty bloodthirsty eat everything they can see uh so there are a huge diversity of sharks in australia isn't there yeah oh yeah uh 200 odd species 200 odd species and they're not all big and some of them are very very small yes uh and yeah look you've worked with a large diversity of them and you're fine okay good stuff definitely definitely yeah is there any particular shark though out of all the ones you've worked with just they really connect. Well, not they really connected with you. That's putting human emotion onto a shark. 
um, okay. that you really connected with, I guess. There's probably two different species, very closely related. They're very small sharks. Uh, one of them was a local shark. It's called the necklace carpet shark. Beautiful animal. And it's Love a it. shark that's very skinny little shark, probably as long as your arm, beautiful speckles and patterns on its body, and also very common in the southern areas of uh, Port Phillip Bay and kind of the Port Sea to Queenscliff, Point Lonsdale kind of area and out in the open rough you know, surf rocky beaches. If you're out snorkeling there, duck dive down underneath all the seaweed and mixed up in between the little rocky crevices and you might be lucky to see a necklace carpet shark. So that was certainly one of my favourite sharks. And another close relative of them was the epaulet shark, um, which yeah. is a, a species from the areas like the Great Barrier Reef and the northern parts of Australia. So I would have to say those two in terms of the ones I've worked directly well, with. I, yeah. I remember at uni we went up to um, Heron Island, fantastic bus trip that took 48 hours and we hit eight kangaroos right. i would i wouldn't recommend going to heron island by bus no. from melbourne <laughs> um please fly it's much nicer how did the bus get to heron island well I don't the first kangaroo took out the floodlights so then we oh. couldn't really see the others but how did um, you actually get to heron island on a well bus? we I'm got to gladstone yes two hours late and they were holding the ferry for us because there was probably about ferry. 50 university students ready to go but um, I remember we were catching epaulets and they were great because you could literally walk in the shallows and pick them up with your hands. Yep. Like, you didn't need a fishing line or anything. You just you walked around and you picked up a shark. Now, I should just... Uh, <laughs> well, you had a permit. You had a permit. And I should just uh, assure everyone listening, you're not yep. catching to eat. No, no, no You're no, catching no, no, to no, appreciate. No. And they can actually handle this sort of behaviour very, very well, can't they? Yes. No, we were catching to do some blood sampling to yes. have a look at... Um, I don't remember what. Oxygen levels might possibly? Yeah, potentially, yep. yeah. Because they do some pretty crazy stuff at low tide, don't they? They're a pretty amazing animal, yeah, because they often uh, live in very shallow waters, you know, ankle-deep water, and during low tide as the water kind of recedes and goes out and you get these little tide pools forming, um, often these little epaulets get stranded and stuck in these little tide pools. Um, being such a fairly big animal in a rock pool community compared to all the other little tiny animals in there like shrimps and worms and crustace other crustaceans and mollusks, um, a bigger animal like this is going to use up oxygen in that tiny little rock pool very quickly. You can imagine the heat, 35-degree day, heat bearing down in this little bit of water. And this fairly large animal, relative to everything else, uses up a lot of oxygen in there. So the issue would be for a big animal like ourselves, if you're not getting oxygen coming into your body, it's going to cause some major you know, issues if your body, especially your brain, is deprived of oxygen. It's not going to be nice. It's not going to be good for you, no. But these little epaulets sit there with oxygen low water, and they survive. Um, so researchers often were looking at um, how incredible they are actually able to do, you know, what they're able, to, how they're actually able to do this, and not kind of um, have any major issues or you know do any serious damage to organs. Yeah, because oxygen deprivation has some major physiological impacts. It certainly does, but not in the epaulet shark. So these sharks can sit there at low tide, oxygen can get used up, and they sit there and they, they basically look at a way of shunting oxygen to important organs and other parts of their body that don't necessarily need or use a high amount of oxygen. Um, they're kind of shunting that oxygen-rich blood to the important organs. And they just sit there in this kind of torpid, relaxed state until the tide starts to lap in oxygen-rich water as the tide starts to move in, and the shark kind of wakes up from this little slumber and, and off it goes. So researchers were possibly looking at how these sharks are able to do this and maybe applying some of the 
the kind of physiology and biology of these sharks, so maybe looking at what they can do to allow humans to be able to cope with low oxygen levels in case of stroke victims or in, in, in case of in surgeries as well. So potentially, like you said before, everyone takes, thinks of sharks as being big and scary and dangerous and animals that are going to hurt us, but in future, epaulet sharks could in turn, what we learn from them, they could actually save human lives. Fantastic. So we're learning from nature. Good stuff. Yes. But it doesn't just end there. They, are, they have another incredible trick, don't they? Uh, ah, yes. The other incredible trick is if they are stranded in those little tiny rock pools um, and they decide, well, I don't want to stay in this little one anymore. I want to go and find food elsewhere because I'm pretty hungry. As you can imagine, low tide with you know pools of water separated by coral heads or rocks that are out of the water, to get from one rock pool to the next one, you've actually got to get out of the rock pool that you're in. So these sharks, their four fins on their belly, their pectoral and pelvic fins, very strong and very muscular and they actually use them like legs and they literally can walk and they can clamber out of a shallow tide pool clamber out of water mind you over rocky coral heads and then down into a little tide pool nearby so they're also known as the walking shark fantastic so this is a shark that literally walks on land this for a lot of people just without any context is the stuff of nightmares. Yeah, if you've just <laughs> tuned in right now, on land. this is not a horror story. Yes. They're not like, coming for you. Listen to the Although, podcast. <laughs> that's yeah. not the most dangerous. The most dangerous thing is they're only a metre long and their teeth are only a millimetre. I mean, that's pretty scary oh. stuff. Hmm. Yeah. The torture that those And they love teeth. worms as well. So oh. certainly a, a shark to be... What a horrible creature that lives right here in Australia on the Great Barrier Reef. Wow, we should kill them all. As Trump says, they should all die. They yes. should all die. Well, like you said, we should be looking at the positives of what Trump has uh, been been talking about. Yeah. The other interesting thing on this topic of Trump um, and his um, hatred towards sharks, but also the, the huge positive impact that it's having on shark conservation by the looks of things with money coming in, um, the same actual thing kind of happened with Jaws as well. Um, really? Yeah. There was an amazing documentary out a few years ago. Um, it was all on, it was all from the perspective of shark researchers and their love of sharks and why they got into it. And the reason why they've become shark biologists was because they watched Jaws and thought, these animals are incredible. I want to be a shark biologist wow. and I want to research sharks. So it actually probably had a huge positive impact on people getting interested in sharks. Obviously, it had its negative side effects oh, as yeah. well. Which I feel may have but, outweighed the positives. Well, it's possible that the positives are outweighing because if it weren't for that, there may not have been as many shark researchers that would have started back oh, in, the, in the 70s and into the 80s if, if it weren't for that. Um, and it was a very um, positive documentary. So like Aaron said before, I think we should be looking at the positives of Trump's uh, comments because it could could spark positive, uh, Let's positive hope. vibes for sharks. Let's hope. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shore. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 941983 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. You're listening to us on 3CR, 855 AM. You could also be listening online 
or podcasting. So many options to listen to our show. Well, we're talking about sharks today and um, we've got Jason Caruso on who loves sharks, as we all do. And um, we've just been talking about epilepsy because they're a pretty cool little shark and they can crawl along land and they've got really, really teeny tiny teeth. And they scary. don't really fit the big jaws image of the sharks that everyone thinks about. That's right. And there is a huge diversity of sharks out there. Uh, and I think most people are unaware of this and they're different in their life habits, they're different in their biology, size, shape, uh, personality sometimes, of course, but also their reproduction. Uh, and uh, Jason, you were just mentioning off air that you've noticed some pretty interesting habits of reproduction. Uh, yes, um, uh, sticking to the topic with the, with the epaulet sharks we were talking about before and even earlier on we were discussing common names versus scientific names. So in, in Australia there's um, at least two species of no, known species of, of epaulet sharks and um, working in an aquarium situation I've um, observed both of them living together. So shortly after we had... Uh, two of these different species of epaulet sharks living together, I noticed some very unusual behavior that I wasn't really expecting, and that was uh, courting behavior. Now, often when male sharks court females, they kind of follow them, and then if they kind of like them, they literally bite them. Mm. So on these little tiny... Sexy. It's mm. very sexy, yes. On these little tiny sharks with little tiny teeth, um, it doesn't do too much damage to the females. But I thought this was very interesting where we've got two different species of epaulet sharks showing signs of courting. So I've monitored this for many, many, many months. Until one day I actually observed actual mating. Now, epaulet sharks are a type of shark that lay eggs. So as you might know, some species produce eggs and others produce live young. So epaulets lay eggs. So what I wanted to do was to collect these eggs and see if they actually hatch. Because if they do hatch, there could have been a possibility that we've, they're forming, they're hybridizing. Um, and that's exactly what I did. Um, often eggs were laid, our divers would collect them out hatch them and then I would continue to, to study them and, and basically monitor their, their growth habits and also monitoring their patterns because out of the two species of epaulets they have different colour patterns. They, they actually look quite different. And I noticed that some of these little babies as they were growing were resembling uh, an intermediate colour form between both of the different species of epaulets. So this wasn't not conclusive enough to determine hybridization. It was all very positive, but this day and age, you need DNA analysis. And that's exactly what we did. We took DNA from the parents and from some of the pups, and the DNA demonstrated and proved that these epaulet sharks were actually hybridizing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So this was obviously um, witnessed in an aquarium setting. Would this occur in the wild? Are they found in the same areas in the wild as well? Yeah, they actually are found in the same areas. Okay. I've been, again, Northern Australia, Great Barrier Reef, Northern Territory, and Western Australia. Um, so it is possible that it's happening in the wild. But it's also possible that it's not happening in the wild. Perhaps their uh, their breeding habits, um, in terms of their environmental cues or seasonal change for that triggers breeding, um, might not be in sync. Um, but it is possible that that hybridization is occurring, but we're just not seeing it. So researchers aren't finding um, these these sharks um, mm. that show intermediate forms, or maybe they are, and they're just dismissing the colour form right. Right. as mm. thinking it's just a, an, an unusual kind of form of one or the other. So I think in the wild, probably further DNA analysis needs to be done. And often when we're looking from a taxonomic sense as well, um, epaulet sharks don't really have a lot of distinguishing external features that separate them apart from each other. Um, it's often color pattern that determines if one is one species or one is another species. So from an anatomical point of view, there's very little difference. Right. So it is 
possible that they are hybridizing in the wild or possibly that these sharks are very, very closely related and maybe haven't quite actually completely split off to form individual species. Interesting. So, so this is be, something that needs to be... You could be looking at a, a stage in the evolution and it is splitting possible. into these two different forms, which could then get even further. It Fantastic. Possible, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And at the time, it was actually the, um, this particular study that I was a part of. It wasn't published as yet, but hopefully in the future it may. It was actually the first case of hybridization in sharks um, right. that was known. Okay. Yep. So you say the first case. Uh, have we had uh, subsequent cases since then? Uh, yeah. So um, we've mentioned about whaler sharks before. They're quite a diverse group of sharks. And um, up in northern Queensland, there's two different types of black tip whalers or black tip sharks. And uh, researchers were collecting some to do samples. And on their DNA analysis, they actually realized that, that some individuals showed genetic um, um, you know, variations between of the two different black tip sharks. It was kind of an accidental finding, but it was the first kind of published case of hybridization in sharks. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. That's incredible. And we could talk about sharks for a long, long time, just how incredibly diverse and amazing they are. But unfortunately, we have come to the end of the show. This is our... This is Aaron and I's first show for the year. What a great topic to cover. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. Thank you for inviting Thank me. Thank you. So I hope everyone's out there enjoying this Sunday. But coming up next is Sally with Out of the Pan. So enjoy your day and tune in again next week. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye.